Welcome to the Experience Side Core Conversations. We look at marketing trends and customer experience challenges and discuss related technologies and successful implementations. This is Ahmed El Yamani, Engagement Cloud Product Marketer in Sitecore. So uh, welcome everyone. Uh, in today's uh, episode, I'm honored to have uh, Bernard Emerzel, a competence lead customer experience at Creates. Welcome, Emerald. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, Bernard has been uh, in the career of business and digital solutions for between engineering, project management, and doing business consulting and coaching as well, before finally leading the customer experience at Creates. Also, you've been a four-time strategy MVP. And uh, most importantly, Bernd runs the BernandEmersal.com blog site, which includes tens of tips and guides uh, on how to optimize digital experience and uh, online channels. I'll put a, a link for this at the, at the description at the end of the video. So um, really a wealth of experience and pleasure to be talking to you. So um, usually uh, we start by uh, talking generally about customer experience and having kind of an open discussion around what's going on in the market at the moment. And I uh, like to use one of the quotes that I seen you using in your profile, which is a bye-bye minimum viable uh, product and welcome uh, minimum lovable uh, experience. From my understanding, the MVP, the, the minimum viable products are a way to test products in an incremental way with, with clients. So like you, you, you implement something minimum and, and incrementally develop it with your clients. So how, how that is being replaced by minimum lovable experience, in your opinion? Is it, is it a real practice? Have you tried it? Is it a solution to today's customer experience challenges? Yeah, we use it at our customers, but it's not something that's common in the market. What we found out, what I found out is that MVP thinking in a minimal viable product is bringing focus to functionalities rather than experiences. Studies of Gartner showed that 86% of nowadays customers don't buy products based on the product itself or price, but it's purely based on the experience they have with brands. Um, so I started thinking, why are we focusing on a functional minimal product? That is the focus that you get when thinking in MVPs, at least that's what I see with our customers that the focus is in uh, based on, we have uh, a minimum set of functionalities that we need that uh, otherwise we can launch the product. Um, but the experience that end users have with the product is equally, if not more important than the functionality itself. So it's kind of a mindset, what lovable experience or minimal ex uh, viable experience, but the experience is the keyword here. What experience do we need? um with uh, the first version of a product um, that help us reach the business goals and ambitions that we uh, have in mind actually that makes me wondering like, how would you structure the team and how because that means because i'm thinking the normal flow of business analysis and digital strategists and understanding the business and, and getting the requirements like, how, how would that impact the way you implement the solution you and your team um, we, what we always do is, uh, start with the end user in mind. So we're defining user groups going, um, through several iterations of interviews, low fidelity prototypes, but also from a concepting phase, we, if we think of so some concepts, we're validating those with end users before we start diving in, um, fine tune requirements on a detailed level, uh, and shaping backlogs, for example, and, and uh, describing user stories. Um, so we're 
doing a lot of research in the market and under end users, what the experiences they need, when do we have them engaged? Um, and from there we start shaping and detailing the products. You can do you usually get the opportunity to set with your customers, the customers for interviews, because that seems like, yeah. That's, that's yeah, you there, there, are, there, there are always situations where customers, uh, don't have time or money and just yeah. want something out and where, uh, start thinking sooner in MVPs rather than MLEs. Um, but we try to convince our customers that they need to, um, incorporate end users in shaping the product because it helps, uh, create a better product that is used by end users and the, the adoption is better. Um, and for uh, a lot of our customers that, that works and we get them on board um, and we um, uh, incorporate validation sessions and user research sessions um, in designing products. So is it documented you have a book a manifesto somewhere no. around it or just not, not, not yet. internet practice? Yeah. Okay. That's a cat love tool. Yeah. That, that, that would be interesting publish um, because it seems like you you have it all you have the incremental process um okay it's like uh, also one of the other things i found interesting uh, around your writing was data-driven customer experience with a human touch so um firstly why why would you include a human touch if you don't do it for the end user um we don't believe you will succeed uh, and that, that goes both, both ways, by the way. So for the end user that can be, uh, from a, a corporate website or e-commerce, uh, platform perspective, uh, you're the customers of our customer, but that also applies for the end users of our customers, which can be content managers or digital marketers or whatever. So you need to think of, uh, shaping solutions for them as well and, um, incorporate them in configuring a content management platform like Sitecore um, uh, uh, during uh, building a solution, um, building it for end users and make sure that they start using your product, um, which it, in the end will lead to uh, all kinds of business goals, of course, whether it is co conversion increase or, uh, I don't know, working on your NPS. Um, but that's the, the human touch. Um, having yeah. focus on the human um, and making it all, for them. All the humans in the process. Yeah. So you build a case yeah. for each of them yeah. and you iterate above it. This is how I see you doing it. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a, yeah, perfect. Um, also, because we are talking about data. So um, another writings and was um, uh, comparing two uh, approaches, the bottom up approach and the uh, top down approach in data driven digital marketing. Mm -hmm. So what, what's the difference between these two techniques? Um, and when, for example, your, the managers should go to one of these, uh, versus the other. What I, um, f see and find out by a lot of customers and organizations, um, is the, the bottom up approach. So they start asking questions like. Uh, what can be measured, uh, what can Sidecore do? Uh, and it, before you know it, you have uh, a dashboard with uh, a ton of KPIs, um, but you have no idea what they're telling you. And even if you have, you have no idea what they're leading to, uh, uh with the, the top down approach, that means that 
We're starting with the strategic uh, objectives of an organization, uh, and that can be something like win 10% of the market or lose our revenue with uh, X percent or uh, launch a new product in uh, some area of the world. And then work your way uh, uh, downwards. So what does uh, digital marketing has to do to uh, help achieving their goal? Um, so if we want to increase the revenue, um, how much of that increase uh, should come via online channels. And you can uh, work your way down so you know in the end what, for example, your ad spend on Facebook should deliver. But most organizations, uh, they lack uh, to show um, what the marketing efforts uh, bring. So if you don't know what you're in the strategic business goals, it it's, feels kind of useless and you don't have a sense of purpose. Um, that's one way. And the other uh, way around is the bottom up. So you start looking at all kinds of data points. What do we have? What can we learn from it? But it's more experimental. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, do you see a blend of both sometimes? Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, I'm, I'm currently starting some KPI workshops at a customer where we probably will do both. So we try to understand from a strategic point of view what the main goals are um, and work our way down to understand what the online channel should bring and how do we measure that. Uh, um, but also the other way around, just think of all the things that we can do and create experiments without having clear business goals, just to learn from data and probably come up with uh, new ideas. Because you don't know what you don't know, right? It's like maybe, maybe we have some discovery amongst yeah. the data, like some, some behavior, customer behavior. Yeah, exactly. So, like, and yeah. also of course, but that need to be within the, the, like the larger, the high level organization objective yeah. as well. Like, yeah, focusing on profitability or customer reach or, yeah. yeah. But for me, the most important th thing is that, uh, I, I, I get a lot of questions, um, from customers, especially cycle customers, what can it do? Um, so the return on investment is important for me because it's not uh, a cheap product uh, and that's with a good reason, but if you have bought it, um, there must be a vision, um, and you want to uh, improve the return on investment, of course, and, and that it can only be done if you have clear KPIs, um, that can relate to strategic goals. Mm -hmm. That's the main reason why I like the top down approach, um, to help customers understand what the return on investment is. Makes sense. If you're going with such a product customer experience product, you need to first understand, uh, your customers you need to understand your objectives as an organization. Like, so discovery and high level objectives. And I, I see you getting into strategical challenges before you have kind of this understanding, you need to scale up the, the story and bring in all the stakeholders. And this is not always streamlined. So no, can, definitely uh, yeah. not. No. Yeah. Do you have a tips on this, like involving top management and strategy of organization? Have you succeeded doing it? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of a, a similar situation right now. Um, I think the most important part is to figure out if uh, customer experience as a team is um, on top of mind uh, on executive level uh, or management level. Um, so if, if you don't have buy-in and they don't think it's important enough, then you will never succeed. Um, so I think that's, that's for me, always step number one, make sure that the decision makers and budget owners, um, understand what you're trying to achieve and that 
topics like data and customer experience are important. It should be on the strategic agenda. Especially, especially if you, if it's an incremental process, you, you might try to build a business case in the beginning. So it's a, let's say promises, like for example, like for based on these kinds of data and the similar situations that you have done before and other publications, for example. So I read a lot of stuff from Gartner, McKinsey, you Forrester, you can name them. Uh, inspire them with uh, presentations, uh, sessions, uh, workshops, and, and trying to convince them with those studies that have been done uh, that show the importance of uh, things like customer experience and data. Um, and it, it, it works, but there are situations where business owners don't believe in digital marketing, for example, and yeah. just do it the old way. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So, uh changing the point a bit. I think you wrote it before COVID and it was about closing the gap between online and offline transactions. I have, yeah. That made a lot of sense before COVID to me, but now after COVID, like, how, did you think about revisiting this article? I think I find it very hard because at the moment uh, I see more and more offline communications uh, returning. Um, and a, a lot of will still remain on, online remote. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure if I'm looking at behavior of people here in the Netherlands, still we uh, uh, try to see each other face to face. So I'm, I'm not a researcher and a trend watcher, so I, I find it very hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, yeah. The offline part will be a little bit less, I, I believe that, but I still think that there are things that will go offline. and. If you look at the 360 degree view of your customer, probably B2B a little bit more, then there are offline interactions that you need to include as well. But for sure, uh, the offline interactions will be a little bit less, but I still believe that they, they will remain. To be, to be honest with you, Verand, uh, I, when I, by the time I was doing the outline, that was, I think a month ago, things are not like today. Like no, it's going very quickly. Of course, like we're still like, yeah, we, everyone's thought it would be online, but suddenly everything is bombing. People are cramming back to the street. seems like hungry to come back to the normal life as, as COVID have, has never happened. Back. Yeah. Yeah. I think we forgot that we're still human and have certain needs, um, and that shaking hands and hugging each other. Um, uh, that indicates that the offline interaction in some ways still remains. I, um, I also wanted to talk about like building an end-to-end -end offline journey or like how much Sitecore or other customer experience tooling, can they help? Like if you, if you have a success use case of the technology. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's, uh, uh, uh I use a model, uh, where I've called it the, the four pillars of, uh, customer experience. I believe it always, mostly always starts online. So when you, when you start engaging with customers, um, you need four capabilities in organization from the people process technology perspective. And those capabilities are content, personalization, um, intelligence, um, and data. Um, and uh, that's a, a model that I use with our customers to talk about solutions uh, and also talk about what kind of people and processes do you need around those capabilities. Um, and when you look at the site portfolio, um, especially with all the acquisitions of the last couple of years, 
um, we can fill in all those pillars with a uh, sidecore portfolio. So content is, of course, uh, a content hub uh, and uh, probably uh, a content management, uh, Sidecore, XP, and XM Cloud. Uh, with personalization, we have the CDP. Uh, intelligence is something that I uh, also see in, in uh, Sidecore CDB, of course, because there's a lot of machine learning and AI that, that can um, uh, predict and, and auto-segment, but also the Sidecore personalization AI. Um, and with um, the data is, is mostly built around uh, a CDP as well or a smart data platform where you have different data sources that you can combine in one platform and do all kinds of uh, uh, reporting, uh, predictive uh, analysis around it. And, and those four pillars with solutions um, are, in my opinion, needed if you want to have an end-to-end um, control over the customer journey and understand where they come in and where they end, what their needs are, um, um, et cetera, et cetera. I like to see that you predicted it on like the composability, the composable solution of Sitecore, kind of because you have the four cornerstones and they match with the four pillars or three pillars of the products where CDP can do something, content can do something, personalization. But also you've been writing about the um, uh, the, the all online exa example for uh, for Tesla, mm -hmm. like uh, how how much brands can learn, like different industries can learn from each other. I think it's good that companies look to each other. So Tesla is an example that has disrupted the automotive industry, um, and it's only doing sales online. You cannot go to a, a physical store uh, and and buy a Tesla. Um, but it, it can inspire other companies um, and, and learn from what Tesla have done and pick certain elements and implement it in their journey. I, I believe in looking around, uh, don't reinvent the wheel uh, yeah. and, and just adopt best practices or things that we can learn from other companies um, and, and try to figure out in what extent you need to adopt those. So uh, to give an example, um, I use the Spotify or Netflix model more from uh, the ex customer experience point of view. I use them a lot in inspiration sessions or as an example of companies that are really mature in managing the journey and uh, being omni-channel, omni-device, uh, fully personalized. Uh, and I always try to inspire companies um, how far it can go and then challenge them uh, also from uh, a digital maturity uh, model perspective. I use the Sidecore customer experience or digital experience maturity model a lot to help them find out where the maturity for them ends, what do they need and what can they uh, learn and pick from companies like Spotify, Tesla, uh, Netflix and adopt those and implement those in the organization to achieve their business goals and to engage with their customers. Amazing. Um, jumping to one of the, try again on the real case scenarios. I want to, another model you talked about was the see, think, do, care model. Yeah, like, that's, um, well, uh, yeah, that's a marketing model from Google. So uh, before that you had the, uh, the, the, I need to be careful what I'm saying on a postcode, but in, in my opinion, a little bit more old school AIDA model. And Google made for the online digital marketing, the see, think, do, care model. So that's the model they use 
um, to uh, design campaigns and to think about what content in what stage of the journey of, of a campaign should you be uh, uh, using uh, and what kind of channels should be using. And I have used that model to um, help Sidecore customers think about the solutions that they can bring to the table um, based on the stages in uh, the seating do care model. Can you can you give an example? So like, for example, at sta a certain stage in the journey, like if a customer, for example, is struggling with, I would not force one on you, but if you... I can think of something else in, in the, the broad portfolio, but from the cycle experience platform point of view, um, if you're starting in the C phase, you're creating awareness. So you probably have ads, uh, you have, uh, of course, SEO display yeah. ads, uh, um, and something that you typically use in that stage of the cycle platform are the campaigns and goals and engagement value. So if I am a marketer, I would like to know how much traffic is coming from the different channels, for example, social channels as I run. And so I understand how my ad spend is, is performing and campaigns is typically something that you can use in that stage. And when I go to the think stage, uh, you will probably have visitors on your site. Uh, you probably want to personalize uh, a landing page based on the channel they're coming from. So you can use the personalization feature of Sitecore. Um, so in every stage, you can add more and more capabilities of the platform, build the experience with the ultimate goal to uh, make that conversion. And that's something that I try to explain with that model to start small and uh, configuring uh, measure points and then use features for personalization, AP testing, marketing automation to manage the journey. Yeah. yeah. So okay, that leads us to the last section of the uh, today's talk and uh, asking you about what, what you anticipate in the coming years. How do you see the companies are evolving, customer experience changing? Yeah, I, I think that uh, more and more companies um, uh, understand the importance of customer experience, uh, understand yeah. that, especially larger companies that use a variety of different tools and uh, have uh, all kinds of content management systems. I think more and more companies understand that they need to consolidate um, and focus more on integration and, and, and data uh, that can only be done by going for point solutions that can integrate with each other. I also think that the whole uh, 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 headless and mock uh, architecture is becoming more and more important. That's of course something that Sidecore is also doing. Um, but that's the technical point of view. Um, I also think that the behavior of humans is is rapidly going to change and it's of course driven by the technology that's evolving very quickly and more and more is possible so we're adopting it but also of course new generations so we're always talking about generation z uh, but there is uh, probably a new generation coming if i'm looking at my daughters there uh, my youngest is three months my oldest is five years but the way they interact with devices it, it's it's mind-blowing probably scary change in behavior and um, demands of brands coming um, from the technical point of view, from the digital interaction point of view that we need to adapt to as companies, as brands. Um,
especially with the things we talking we talked about earlier, like the metaverse. And for example, do you as a brand do you need yeah. to be present in the metaverse? Do you need to have content there for those po uh, potential customers? Um, and that's going to um, it. Of course, it's going somewhere in that direction. And I think brands need to be prepared for those changes. They need to be ready to make sure that they're on the right channels uh, at the right time and have their yeah. content, their products ready. Um, and of course, the the, the uh, uh, trends we're having from the API-driven uh, uh, headless architecture is going to help that. But I think that's something that's going to change more and more the next coming years. And organizations are working towards to that situation that are ready to plug and play in different channels and, and digital environments where new generations are and where they expect you to be as a brand. And that's something that, again, uh, requires changes of people, process and technology, because you also need the, the people to uh, create the content and to understand the human behavior um, and to make sure that you're ready as a brand to be present in those worlds. That's, yeah, from brand side, but yeah, that makes me also want to think, want to ask about. You said you have uh, two young mm -hmm. uh, children, and they have one teenager, and they, you'd love to see them socializing in the in the real world, not being isolated in, behind screens. So, how, and but you still you want to serve because there is practicality and and speed in in content distribution using. Metaverse, and I, I imagine there will be a future technologies that would run in the same pattern. So like how would you think protection should happen or it would happen naturally? Yeah, it's a very hard question. And as a young father, I'm, I'm also thinking about it right now. But I think brands have a responsibility there as well. Um, um, and it, it's probably not the same, but I, I, uh, um, kind of same discussion around uh, data GDPR. Um, I think you need to be open and transparent about what you're collecting and why and what the rights and options of customers are. And I believe in, in uh, trust as a very important um, part of creating connections with customer customers. Um, and yeah, the more transparent you are, I think the more trustworthy you are. Uh, how that can be used in, in, in the, the metaverse and the digitalization of the world and the interactions that we have. Brands should take responsibility there to be present and to um, uh, have products or content ready, but take care of especially younger children and take care of their mental health. It's going to evolve so quickly and the same with electric cars. We have no idea what the, the impact of uh, 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 the batteries uh, and, and wasting batteries is on uh, the environment. Uh, we think it's the future, but I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if we're uh, saving our planet by going electric. And the same is with digital. And we as parents, of course, for our children uh, should also think about it and uh, teach them how to deal with technology and digital interactions. In a healthy way. Seems uh, like a uh, call from you, Bernd, and uh, on openness, honesty, because there is research going here and there, and 
there is no way to know about right from the wrong unless we are firstly listening to each other, I think, like giving in space for others to talk and get their voices heard when they are saying something interesting and being ethical. It's not just about materialistic chases. No. So, yeah, I, I second you on, on this definitely. And I see there is a responsibility on each of us to like to take the right choice when we when you get the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of this. And that leads us to the end of our questions today. And uh, hopefully I also, I always say like humanity got Guy found a way. Like it's a, we did we did many mistakes through the course of history, but we also did a lot of amazing things. So hopefully we do it again. Find a way to do something right and solve it. Um, um, so thank you um, for for your time, and I really enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed actually pre- preparing for this episode, especially because I've been reading a lot through your uh, blog post, and I'd encourage everyone to go your. Uh, burndemerzel.com and I'll put that in the description as I mentioned at the beginning I'd like to thank everyone who joined us today in this episode please um, make sure that you subscribe to this uh, podcast if you'd like that content and please let us know give us your feedback to know what we can do to make the next episodes better thank you again uh, Burnd and uh, hopefully we meet uh, in person soon and see you all uh, next episode thank you Thanks for having me.